Hello, my name is Henry, and you're listening to the Right on Track Podcast. Greetings one and all, and welcome to the Right on Track Podcast, episode 69. My name is Tom Denham, one of the three founding hosts of the Right on Track Podcast, and we've got a very full episode for you today. First up, our guest hosts Jack and Mark are going to be doing an episode review, and then we'll be hearing an audio story, and then Lachlan and Courtney will be reviewing a very famous steam train from a very famous movie. I'll let you figure that out. But first up, let's hear from Jack and Mark and their Series 8 reviews that they've got in store for us. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whoever you are in the world, and welcome back to the Right on Track podcast. Unfortunately, the current host couldn't make it today as they are currently indisposed. Just don't ask many questions and don't go deep into that. <laughs> no, it's 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 Christmas time and everyone's very busy, but um, we're the temps for for uh, this yeah, evening. Yeah. yeah, we're the unemployed temps of uh, today. Indeed. <laughs> uh, should we introduce ourselves? I uh, might as well. Uh, hi again. Um, I'm Jack, otherwise known as NWR58 on YouTube, and this is Mark, otherwise known as Cedric Mudshot. Yes, a very famous, very, very awesome Twitter Twitter user. <laughs> um, yeah. I go by a few names. Muggy, Mark, Marcello, um, but... Magic Man? I'm Mark for today. Yeah, I, I'm a very magic man. <laughs> All right. All right. So what episodes are you reviewing today, Jack? Well, apparently the boys on the, on the podcast are reviewing episodes from Series 8, Mark. Oh, yay, my favorite. It's not yeah, actually. you're no, <laughs> and for today it's all right. It's all it's all right. It's all, it's all right. We have a lot to talk about today. Oh and, yeah, I have a lot. I have a yeah. lot to say about these two episodes. Um, the first one I think we're reviewing is Fish and Emily's Adventure, and not to be mistaken by you, the guys at home, not Fish from Series Four, but another episode re- renamed titled Fish. In I'd really love eight. to meet the guy. I'd, I'd love to meet the guy who thought it was a great idea to name an episode with the exact it, same title as one from like a few seasons ago. Ah, uh, that's all in the past. Mm, they probably didn't even know. Okay, so we're gonna start off with fish, and I presume in a, a clip that I'll just be about to play, um, Thomas arrives at the fishing village to find. A big rake of smelly fish trucks. And when he got to the fishing village, there were lots of trucks, all stacked full of fish. Thomas had never seen so many fish. Phew, he puffed. What a horrible smell. Then Arthur arrived. Arthur warned Thomas that the route to Brendam Docks was bumpy. Only take five trucks at a time, said Arthur, and go slow and steady. 
Arthur carefully collected five trucks, then he puffed slowly out of the harbour yard. Thomas looked at all the fish trucks. He didn't want to go slow and steady. He wanted to get his smelly job over with. So Thomas shunted all of the trucks into a long line. And he puffed out of the village. So, well, uh, Thomas, uh, in, right about in this story, I, I, I think Thomas arrives at the fishing village. And I never really thought about this as a kid, but I find it really interesting how <laughs> the fish aren't exactly in vans. Yeah, uh, so, in like yeah, in like yeah. salt vans, they're just in open trucks. Yeah, that that is a little something I I did put down while rewatching this episode with more mature eyes. It never really occurred to me about how the fish was loaded in, but looking at it now, that looks very very unsanitary. Yeah, I think I think all of the island has definitely gotten some sort of food poisoning. Yeah, there must have yeah, there must have been a lot of complaints from many of the fish um, about the many fishing distribution centers and uh, the fishing industry in general. And, and it, it's interesting because in in prior seasons, well, especially before series eight, um, we would always see fish trains with you know ventilated vans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, salt wagons. Yeah, um, but any sort of vans in general. Like the Flying Kipper and the the other episode called Fish from Series 4. Look, I w- um, to be honest with you, like, I wouldn't complain as much about the, the careless dumping of the fish, but I, I would have liked to see them put actual tarp- tarpaulins over the trucks. At least then, it's somewhat secure. Not just out of the Even open, then, like... Rotting away? The fish... Yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's just the fish are like... It's like a mountain of just ice, salt, and like raw fish. And you see them like fly out of the trucks later on in the episode. I'm surprised they even managed to like bring it to like A to B without and, like half of the delivery falling out. Exactly, and I, I highly doubt anyone's going to go back and collect those fallen fish that that's just mm. sitting out on the main line. Or where, exactly. wherever Thomas is pushing these trucks of fish. But anyway, um, Thomas arrives at the fishing village and Arthur is there. And Thomas hates the smell of fish. We know this from like a few seasons ago, I'm yeah. pretty sure, from something in the air. Yeah, and this no- this is another Thomas-centric episode where he shows his disdain for fish. We, we have him gone yes. fishing and then we explored about his uh, dislike for fish from the episode Fish. Oh yeah, and four. also um, something fishy, where he literally falls off a key. So I yes. think Thomas would have a, a bit of trauma from from fish. Yeah, he has very he has a large history with fish. Mm-hmm. And yeah. something I'd like to say that this episode is the return of Arthur, the big tank engine. My boy, my boy, I love <laughs> Arthur, uh, and he looks really good as well. M- might I add, he's got a new coat of paint. From what it looks like, it's a deeper maroon. He looks um, shiny. Is that I can he looks I can really say really nice. Yes, and he he he, he tells Thomas um, uh, to go slow because the line from the fishing village to Brendam Docks can be bumpy. But Thomas does not heed his advice and takes all of the trucks in one go. 
it, it it just bothers me with the the amount that each engine is taking. I know Arthur yeah. says to take only take five trucks at a time, correct? But he's a big tank engine. Surely he can take more than just more than five trucks. I mean, it exactly. would it would have been different if he were to tell Thomas to only take five trucks, and for him yeah, to take Thomas more is really than five. small. Yeah, and Arthur's really big. Um, but how many trucks does he even pull? It's like eight or nine, right? Uh, Arthur. Well, no, Thomas pushes. Uh, from what I've counted, fifteen trucks. Wow. That's, yes, that's. Quite a lot in TV series terms. That is a lot in um, three trips from the fishing village to Brendam if Thomas did the job correctly. But he didn't. No. Uh, so he... Thomas is a... Uh... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. I only um, Thomas... just... Thomas... Mm. Um, this is all going to get cut out, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to say what I want, want to say right now. Uh... Okay, sorry, sorry. It's something that also did bother me is I this is pretty much a whole series eight whole it hit era thing, but no brake vans whatsoever on every goods train that yep. I see. Yeah, and Thomas is pushing, and, and like he, even if he is pushing, he should still have a brake van. And it still astounds me that they are pushing trucks. Shouldn't they be at the front of the train so they can see ahead? Yeah, that's very silly, but then again, you know, there's, there's been sillier things. It wouldn't be the um, island of Sodor without any sort of breakages of rules and regulations. Yes, copious amounts of crashes. Exactly. Okay. In the, in the Okay, so Thomas pull, uh, pushes, well not pulls, he pushes the fish train. And the trucks are being a nuisance, but instead of the classic um, Mike O'Donnell and Junie Campbell truck laugh, we have this really... Kind of odd laugh from, I imagine, Michelangelo's. And it doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I kind of think it does fit in the terms of this episode. Yeah. Sure, it's a far, far cry enough. from the classic Troublesome Trucks laughter we're so used to, but I, I like to say it is a bit of an improvement. Hmm. It, it's, it's silly. I mean, it suits the one truck that they focus on, where it's kind of like he's got the, the sort of half-closed eyes. He's looking a bit mischievous. Yeah, but it it yeah. always thought it was really silly as a kid, but the trucks are causing a lot of trouble for Thomas, and he's going down a hill, uh, which I think it's Gordon's hill. I could be wrong, but then again, well, if it's on his way to Brendam Docks, he should be going mm. over Gordon's hill. Yeah, bit weird, but um, Thomas is starting to lose control of his trucks. The trucks are. Having a go, a tr Thomas. True railway fashion, there always has to be a runaway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Salty is at the end, is a, is at a set of points. Why is Salty uh, somewhere out on the main line and not at Brendam Docks? I think, mi mi I mean, Thomas is going down the route to Brendam Docks. I imagine Salty was on his way back as well. Ah, oh, true, true, true. And probably yeah. a probably a writer's thing to have um, someone who actually likes fish be at the bottom. Exactly, mm. and it's good to see Salty again. I like Salty; it, it, he's a it, fun it, character. I love Salty too. But Thomas is out of control. Um, the trucks are pushing down the hill. 
Um, before there was a shot of some fish being flung at Thomas's face, I thought that was always a really funny shot. Yeah, um, I mean, I wouldn't expect it to be very comfortable. Slimy, no, I, slimy, I, I, I reckon. Yeah, and Thomas gets really slimy um, throughout I, I, the episode. I, I, I noticed yeah. that. I noticed. Yeah, he's he's covered in like salt and ice and like slimy fish oil, whatever it is, and it looks really good. And I always thought the fish looks really real, despite being miniatures. Yeah, yeah, that, I like that. I love that attention to detail with the uh, with the mm. fish and with the the miniature fish and the. Uh, yeah, as a kid, I wanted uh, to eat the fish, oh. <laughs> the, the, the miniature fish. Oh man. <laughs> Like if you but, um, have a, if you have a good idea of like how big those miniature fish are, to I, I, I guess yeah. it's um I guess you can lift it up with like two gummy fingers. fish. It's like gummy fish. Yes. Yeah, you can you can have a, you can have a handful of them. I don't know why I'm talking about eating the fish from this episode, but I don't know. It's a weird thing I just thought about as a kid. Ah uh, yes. Um, so but, Thomas yeah. is approaching Salty from behind. Yes, and he's going faster and faster, and he puts something... on his brakes, and as hard as he could, but the fish trucks were too heavy. Kaboom! And he crashes into the back of Salty. Yep, I don't know if you noticed this, Mark, but there there's a very famous truck that that was mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. The, on the very yep. front of the tr- of the very front of the train. <laughs> <laughs> He's got Bullstrode's face, which the barge from Series Four, which a lot of people like to refer to this truck as Bullstruck. Bullstruck, yeah. <laughs> and then, and it's his surprise face too. I think it's the most appropriate-looking face. To... I'd like to mention that um, Bullstruck has not appeared in. While he appeared in this episode, strangely enough, he also appeared in the Green Controller, which I think is from Series Ten. In a single shot. So he survives being crashed into the back of Salty. Yes, he managed. He, he magically gains Toad's face, his clenched face as well, as when he crashes into the back of Salty. Fully summons uh, the spirit of Toad in the very last yes. second. Clinching. He has multiple personalities. But, um... It's an awesome crash. I really like the crash. I just, it's like, it's very explosive. It's visceral, and like the the fish flies everywhere, and then Tom is like, "Oops, sorry." Never mind me, Hardy. The smell of the fish reminds me of the sea. I love that Salty isn't even angry. He's just really happy. <laughs> he doesn't just, mind. It's, it's a cute. It's a cute little bit. I always like that line of dialogue, and he's just covered in fish. He just doesn't mind. He He's from the docks. He's probably had a couple of fish crates uh, fall on him. It's just it's Definitely. just part of the, it's just part of his job. The fat controller drives up and tells Thomas off and Harvey clear, clears the mess. They really like using Harvey in this season, I've yeah, noticed. They've used Harvey a lot in this in this season. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess And he'll also be in the next episode. Yes, he will be. But we'll get to that. Um, in a, it, we'll, we'll get to that later on. But we're still focusing on this episode. Yes, 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 yes. But that's a story for another day. Um, so Thomas uh, actually heeds Arthur's advice and takes the trucks one by one. And I just, I just, five, I have five, a cr- five, five. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he takes the trucks. He uh, 
He list, he heeds Arthur's advice and takes five trucks at a time all the way to Brendam Docks. Yes. And at this time, he's facing forward. He's pulling the train. That is that is uh that's probably what he should have done at the start. But it's what he should have done in the first place. Heck, something off- I have I have a criticism with this episode, if you don't mind. I think. Having the crash in the right in the middle of the episode, as a kid to me, it's like, okay, wow, this is awesome crash. And then the rest of the episode is kind of just take it or leave it, Thomas, just going back and forth. I know that never really interested me as a kid. Yeah, there was a bit it's of a, mentally, there was a yeah. bit of a tone shift somewhere in the middle there, I do admit, and then yeah. it all ends up in the light hearted ending of I know you don't like the smell of fish, but you have been useful, really useful. And then the episode ends with a light-hearted um, jab of being clean, especially after being touched with fish. I absolutely love... There's a sort of recurring theme. Well, not even theme in the here. It's like a visual thing that I always keep seeing. The engines are always getting scrubbed down, and they're always covered in sudden soap, and it's really adorable. I think it's really cute. It's like... It's, like, like a pet. <laughs> It's like a pet. You just you just giving your like your dog. Uh, it's it's a weekly bath. Mm. It's 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 it's. I don't know exactly if that actually happened on real rallies where they were just covered in soap, but it it suits the uh, the tone of the hit era. Yeah, it's, just, it's a really yeah. cute thing, and it's good to see Thomas, Arthur, and Salty all together just being chums. Yeah, I think this episode would have taken a different turn. If say no pun intended. <laughs> that that is I, I I didn't mean to go I didn't mean to go into that pun, honestly. Um it, I think it reminds me of that one line where it's like his what was it? His cabin smelt wait no, it was his coupling smelled of kipper and his cabin was filled with cot or something like that. And I liked that alliteration. I love cabin or cab. Uh, okay. Yeah, um, it said cabin for some reason. I guess it's still. It's, I, I mean, it is. Cab is just a, a shorter word for cabin. I I assume that, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, but doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I th- I think what this episode could have done, uh, could have done right, is that even though Thomas was given, um, this job that he didn't want to do, right, mm. but if Arthur were to say, Thomas. You have to take five trucks at a time, but he's pulling more than five. This would give... I guess this would make Thomas a bit more um, agitated, saying that like, this engine's undermining my strength. So not Definitely. only if do I want to prove Arthur wrong by taking more trucks, I'll also get this job done and over with. I see what you mean. I feel like Thomas and Arthur... There's a lot of untapped potential because I always saw the dynamic as a big brother, little brother kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, most of Arthur's interactions during season seven was surrounded with Thomas. Exactly. And Arthur's, Arthur's the, he's the, uh, he's the clean boy. He always, he always does his jobs. He always knows best. And I think Thomas would have a bit of resentment towards him. He probably thinks he's a bit of a square well, Arthur, but they do care about each other. <laughs> they do care about each other because that's what is because that is what Thomas and Friends is all about. I mean, it wouldn't be called Thomas and Friends if Thomas no. didn't have any friends. No, no. 
I, I wouldn't think so either. Okay, so ratings. Jack, what would you give Fish from Series 8? I have very fond memories of watching Fish. Um, it was a it was a part of um, a DVD collection that I had as a, as a kid. P uh, P Parade. I think I'm. Oh, I had that one too. That's how I found out about that episode. Yeah, um, that's that's basically all of season eight there until uh, I had all the act- ones that actually mattered. All the ones that actually mattered. Yes. Um, <laughs> the things I did like about Fish is that I love the return of Arthur, even though this is his yes. last appearance till yes. the gr- until season 12 or The Great Discovery, which one comes first. Yes. Um, He's one of my favorite characters, so it was very good to see him again, you know? It's nice to see the fishing village again. Um, another great set. Another another great set. Something that we haven't seen since see, Series 7 episode... Well, the episode of... Gordon and Spencer, yes. Oh yeah, I, I I think it doesn't look nearly as good as how it did in series five and seven, but it, it's, it's more bri- still. It's more brighter, I would say. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a bit. Um, it's not as lively in series eight because we only see it from a few different angles. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, it's just Arthur and the fishing village, two great uh, aspects of the show that I wish we get get to see more of. I, I suppose. Yes. I think the music score was done right. I I did like. I love I love the motif that plays when Thomas um uh, arrives at the, the fishing village. You have like the uh, the horn, the brass horns, of, no, no, no. to represent the the smelly fish. Yeah, it's it's like that uh that sound effect you hear in cartoons, like the, the, oh the, yeah, uh, the, the like the horn. the ship horn. Yeah, yeah, to represent yeah. the stinky. Yes. And I think cinematography yeah. was very creative in this episode, in terms of like, always, the, the runaway sequence. I I do think that being said, the fish eye lens, no pun intended, once again, uh, uh, is a really horrible shot, and it's always used like from this season to like I don't know, calling all engines. It's just it's kind of really not nice. It's got this horrible blue tinge. It's it's not the best looking. Uh, angle. I'll give you some uh, some trivia. As someone who is in film school, the fisheye lens is a very rare lens that most cinematographers use. Right. And we rarely use them because they're, they're just so rare and very expensive that there's a very limited stock of uh, fisheye lenses, apparently, from what I was been told or, or taught. Okay. Yeah. But they must have really liked it because they kept using it a lot. I just don't know why. <laughs> yeah, the, the I, transition I don't, from I don't, film to I digital was very jarring. I don't think it worked in the content, context of this episode. It didn't work in the context of this episode, if I'm completely honest mm. with you. I, th- I think it kind of works, seeing that it, it's sort of like an episode where it's all about like just smelly fish. Okay, so, so the, I guess it so, works. So basically, what I'm getting from you is that they use the fish-eyed lens just for the entire joke of this episode. <laughs> basically, <laughs> that's the bottom line. <laughs> but um, what would you give it out of ten, Jack? I think I would give it seven out of ten. I'm giving it. Oh, I'm split between a five or a six, so I think I'm going to settle on a six. Because as a kid, I really liked it. Again, I, I watched it on that DVD that you had as well with Halloween and Chickens to School. 
And I, it was a favorite of mine. I really liked just the music and everything and just the crash. But now that I look back at it, the open fish trucks, the fisheye lens, there's just certain things about this episode that kind of, I don't know, it's your, it's your average Series 8 kind of deal where there's a lot of good things, but then it's also weighed down by the bad. But that being said, in this situation, I feel like the good outweighs the bad, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And would you believe that this episode didn't use the three-strike formula? No, it no, not at all, which is really interesting. I feel like that's more of a... Oh, well, no, it, it's used a bit in Series 8, but it gets way more prevalent as the series goes on. Okay, so now we're going to be talking about Emily's Adventure, which was also written by Paul Larson. So, in this episode, there is a storm on the island of Sodor. But that night... There was a big and blustery storm. High winds swept across the island. Trees were blown down. A water tower fell over. And the roof blew right off Farmer McCall's barn. Emily was very pleased to be safe and warm in her cosy shed. She could hear the wind outside. So before we before we continue, I, I I think it's interesting how in this episode they did calling all engines before calling all engines. <laughs> that is true. Like one of the uh, the footage used in Emily's adventure was reused for calling adventure for calling all. I didn't even know that. For calling all engines. That is crazy. Yeah. Calling adventure. I d- <laughs> slip of the tongue. Slip of the tongue. <laughs> but um, I, I love how the crew does the uh, the storm scenes. They're always really convincing and really, like... I, I can imagine a child getting very scared mm. by that. Yes. yes. Unfortunately, a child will be very scared once they see calling all engines. If they manage... Yeah. They- yeah. I love I love the the shot of the water tower falling on the line and the water splashing all over the tracks. That's awesome. Okay, but we're not reviewing calling all engines. We're reviewing Emily's. Oh adventure. no no no! I, I, no that that was also an Emily's adventure. The the water tower. I take back what I said. <laughs> you better watch yourself. <laughs> I, I, I look. I have a lot of things to say, and I think I'll be watching what I would say. A lot. Exactly. Mm. Um, but basically, Emily's in Knapford Sheds, which is a really fun set. I always liked Knapford Sheds. The a, new one, not the turntable. A very a unique, a row engine shed, which is pretty, pretty nice. It looks, it looks very prototypical to something you'd actually see for British Rail in like the 50s or something. Yes. Um, but she's, she's, she's just cozy in her shed. Her doors are closed. There's like all of the carnages happening outside. Queen, she's just queen of content. the castle, if we say. Queen of the yes. castle. Yes. Girl boss gatekeep. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, <laughs> she wakes up um, to find pure a lot destruction. Of pure yes, destruction. Just absolute chaos. Pure destruction. Um, a lot like calling all engines, which I'll keep calling back to. Not entirely. It, it, will, it will never be the end of it. No. No. Um. But the, I love the shot of her looking out to see like just the breakdown crane and everything across the line. It's just a, and there's like some tar tankers and milk tankers on the line just derailed too, which is. It must have been crazy. a very fierce storm. Yes. Yes. 
Unless, so if- unless you want to count this episode as part of calling all engines like a secret. Ooh, like it's in it's it's in the timeline. It's in within the timeline. Very interesting. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's off screen. Yeah, I highly doubt it though. But Farmer McCall needs new wood for the roof of his uh, barn, which has been destroyed during the storm. The fat controller comes to tell Emily this, and in there's a there's a shot there's a close up shot of the fat controller's face, and it uh, it looks like he's had a stroke because one of his eyes is lower on one side of his face. I think it's it was, kind of really odd. Was, yeah, I think uh, there was a mistake in the terms of uh, digital yeah. editing. I think. Yeah, because I'm looking if, at it right now. It looks like the, the sad face was like sort of edited on in post. It's really odd. Mm, maybe one of his eyes fell <laughs> off during shooting. <laughs> I mean, it's painted on, so I don't know. So yes, the fat controller has given Emily a job to collect timber from the sawmill and take it to Farmer McCall's farm so he can mend the roof of his barn so his calves can be warm at night. Exactly. Emily's puffing down the line and we see our good old friend Trevor the Traction Engine. Our good friend Trevor, who we have not seen since Series 7. Wow. Or, that's, um... Oh wait, never never mind. I forgot. He did appear he did appear a couple of times during the season. Never mind. Cut that out. Don't let my mis- <laughs> don't let um, my mistakes be aired right. like this. No, everything will be probably edited and uh, just uh, just put, put together just, very just, professionally. Just go again. Just but go- Trevor is moving Trevor is moving a big log that is bigger than him, from what it seems. And something I, I really like that Trevor's been kept in his Series 3 condition. Like, all of the models are now, like, really, like, matte paint. But Trevor's still really glossy and pretty looking. Um, but Emily is being... In this episode, how do I put this lightly? She's being... Impatient, A monumental bossy. prat. Yeah, all of, the, all of those describing words. She is being really horrible to every just character, vehicle, or not. And she tells Trevor to, to hurry up. Well, that's not really and fair Trevor's... because Trevor is just is Trevor's doing his very best. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's no trying. there's no one to help him. He's doing it all by himself. Exactly. It's 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 not fair on him at all. And Emily blows her whistle, but it's not actually her whistle. It's Henry's, from what I heard. Yeah, this happens a lot in the episode for some reason. And even as Trevor did take the log off the rails, she didn't even have the common decency to say thank you. She was like, about time, or something along those lines. But that attitude, you should have given this episode to James. Yeah, true, true. I, I kind of hate what they've done with Elamy. Elamy? Emmeline? Elamy. Elamy, Elamy the... Elamerald engine. Um, oh, no. I don't like what they've done with Emily in, in Series 8. I'll be, um, I'll be completely straight with you. I am not a fan of bossy Emily. See, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Emily enjoyer. I like Emily. Um, I'm, an, I'm an Emily I love, fan. I love how yes. she looks. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's really hard to defend a character who's always portrayed as such a horrible individual in a lot of her seasons. I don't know what they were trying to do. I think they could have. She could have been interchangeable with any other pompous character. For like, for some, for an engine who is supposed to represent female uh, 
representation into the new Thomas series. I don't think giving her a bossy attitude was really the right decision on the mm. on the on the writer's part and the yeah, it, it, I think they just want to make her whatever she needs to be for the story, and I think that's just not the best kind of way to write things. I guess you can. But, um, like, you, she's just like the very bossy grandmother. I I, I just, just I just say she's kind of like a, a prima donna or like a like the popular girl in the school. I guess it's because they want her to be like in the pot like the, in the posse with the big engines, I suppose. But yeah, the, I, I, I do see it, that it, too. It's just. It's just. It's just. It does a disservice to her character, I suppose. No. Series but, um, 7 Emily all the way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes. That is the best Emily because she has the bronze buffers as well. Yes. <laughs> I think maybe when her buffers change, something in a, in a smoke box uh, changed with her. Who knows? It's like she was given the personality of a cranky old lady that now lives alone and just expects everything to be done yes. just so. I, 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 I see what you mean. But she she passes by the station where some workmen are, and she leashes at them, which makes the workmen very cross. Telling them to work harder, work faster, thinking that she's yeah. actually... thinking that she's actually encouraging them to, you know, do things faster, and... Well, you know, she no. thinks she's the boss. She thinks she knows what's right. No, yeah. really, no. But then Emily comes across Elizabeth on the line, who is pushing the big sort of water water holding area of the water tower, which, as we saw earlier in the episode, had fallen. Yeah, the the, uh, the water tower drum that contains all the water fell. Exactly. Yes, yes. Thank you. I didn't. I, I didn't have the word, but it's really. It's it's just a funny shot. There's just a funny shot of Elizabeth trying to push it. I don't know. There's something about it that makes me chuckle. <laughs> Uh, and then she tells Elizabeth to hurry up and get it off the rails. Elizabeth, ideally probably being as stubborn as Emily is, just says, no, not until you... Um, not with that attitude. Not with that attitude, no. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love... Honestly, I think Elizabeth in this scene has every right to say that because... Exactly. She has no chains. She's literally pushing it with her face. Yeah, I mean, you're stuck up in the shed for years and years, rarely being used, made out of special delivery of collecting special Christmas puddings, and only to end up being diverting down a hill and then crashing to a snowdrift, and now you're forced to push something with your face. Elizabeth has been having a rough life. Oh yeah, no, she's a queen for everything she's been put through. But Queen Lizzie, Queen Elizabeth, let's go. Yes, of course. She's she is the she is the real Queen Elizabeth. All right, let's not go that. <laughs> let's not let's not no, go that to no, that territory. No, we'll, we'll, we'll cut we'll cut that part out. Um, but uh, Thomas comes along, and Emily's frustrated that no one's doing what she wants. And then Thomas tells her, "Well, maybe if you treat people right and and actually say thank you and please, people will listen to you." But the narrator says, "But Emily didn't want to be nice." Or something. <laughs> And it's just like, do, does this engine not have any self awareness? Why is just this episode makes me angry, frankly. Yeah, this really frustrates me, especially when she does concede, and I quote, she takes deep breaths to say, 
please and thank you. And she is shocked that it worked. Just like magic. It's it's like, I don't know. It's a really odd message this episode brings. Just what is like, it trying to say to its audience? Be nice to people. I think that's, that's literally it. That's basic manners 101. And, it's, and she it's has odd. to take deep breaths to say please and thank you. What happened to her, man? What? I, I want to know ha- what happened what to What happened Emily. to our Emily? Well, Elizabeth smiles from ear to ear. Um, and she moves She moves the drum. And I think it, it's really cool because that, that, that little prop of like the water tower probably doesn't weigh anything. But they with the sound design and the way the footage has been slowed down, it actually gives it a sense of weight. And I really like that. Mm. But Elizabeth moves the drum. And Emily makes her way down the line. And she meets Harvey. She says, please and thank you. Harvey is moving a branch um, off the line. And she finally delivers the wood to Farmer McCobb. With the roof mended, the cows and calves rested softly in the hay. And Farmer McCobb thanks Emily for helping him. And Emily now knows that it's nice, that asking nicely is all she has to do to... Do get everyone to do what she wants. I, I, if you can hear the, if you can hear the sound of the tone of my voice, I yeah. just the mo- I just yeah. don't like the moral of this story at all. No, it's just, it's it's. There are good things in this episode, like seeing. There's a lot of road vehicles that we that like you see a lorry as well. Um, I think you see Butch briefly in one shot, which is very cool. Yes. Um, but that is literally the only good thing I like, apart from Emily's Series 8 theme, which I really like as well. Emily's theme in Series, well, the hit era, I mean, is very graceful and elegant. Not yes, like it's not, not like her character outright. No. 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 I feel like her Series 7 theme would actually suit this Emily a lot it, better. Yeah. Though, mm. I would have to say that this episode's title is very misleading. It's not an adventure. It's not an She's adventure. Just, she just stops every like five seconds and berates people. Exactly. Like I think, I think the most appropriate um, title I could think of for this episode is just "Bossy Emily." I mean, that wouldn't be a bad title, but I don't think it wouldn't be a bad title. But no. Ratings. I am just thinking of like I am just thinking of like uh, series twelve. Excellent, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) I completely forgot. Is that is that the one with Murdoch? Yes, that is the one with Murdoch. That's the that's the only that's literally the only reason why I even remember it because Murdoch's in it. But um, we're getting off track. Yes. Uh, What would you rate this episode, Jack? This is. This has got to be the most weakest episode I, of Series 8, I reckon, for me personally. Wow. Yes. Um, the only reason I know about this episode's existence is uh, because I have a Emily's Adventure Deluxe Pack that, came, that, that comes with Ooh. the... That comes along with the... That, that has a, the, the take-along Emily with the angry face and the DVD. And the DVD, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at least we got one good thing out of it, which was that uh, take along pack. It was a nice pack. Yeah, I liked when they did that. I never had any of them as a kid, but I only found out about them when I was like ten or twelve when searching the web. But 
listen, I've, I'd never seen this episode until now. Um, it's one of those Series A episodes that I kind of missed out on as a child. I, maybe I, I did watch it maybe once, but... It's I'm more gonna... forgettable. Exactly. So, yes. uh, out of 10, what would you give it? I think I would have to give it 2 out of 10. I'd give it a 3.5. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying this very lightly. I mean... I like the storm sequence. That that was nice. That did. That was excellent. Yes. Yes, I I did I I did enjoy that. I did see. I like seeing all like all the, the the fan characters. That was my second point. The fan favorites. Yes. The, the fan favorites. Yes. Um, but yeah, this episode was. There's probably, not a lot going for this episode. There's not a lot going for this episode. They could they could have written Emily much more better than this. I reckon. Yeah, it's just, I feel like they could have executed sending the message a lot better. Um, it's just a very bare bones episode. And it, it, I think it does have the three strike formula or maybe like three and a half because there's only like two sequences in which that actually applies, I suppose. Yeah, what would you but, give yeah. this rating, Mark? Um, I'd give it a, a 3.5. Oh, yes, I've forgotten that you said that. I I just been yeah, so no, I no just worries. been so I just been so engrossed in like talking my dislikes about this episode that I've completely bashing this episode. Yes. To high hell. <laughs> um. But well, uh, I suppose that is the reviewing segment done for today. Yep. Um, two really interesting episodes. I actually had a lot of fun talking about them and discussing them with you. It was nice to rewatch them. I, I will oh, yeah. say that, yes. For me, something old, something new. Mm-hmm. Um, not something borrowed or something blue, but, you know. <laughs> Who's getting married right now? All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, let, let's... Uh, I, I think it's an appropriate time to do some plugs, frankly. <laughs> um, Jack, where can people find you? On the, uh, web, people- on the World Wide Web. You can visit me on my YouTube channel. Uh, by NWR558 and you can also visit me on Twitter and I'm posting a lot of behind the scenes photos of my stuff right now so come check that yes. out and Mark please where... watch Jack's stuff mm-hmm. it's amazing and Mark where can people find you you can find uh, I am mainly use Twitter Sudrick Mugshot on Twitter that's at Suddy Muggy uh, I have a YouTube channel with the same name where I haven't posted anything yet, but um, subscribe there, I guess. Um, I mainly just post memes and stuff, and I, I, I like to draw. I like to draw, I like to write uh, stories, so that's where you can find me. And I guess we'll, right. I guess we'll uh, regress back into the Shadow Realms once again. Yes, and I'm going to we'll go back into my damn horrible cave. Yes, and we'll be summoned again very, very soon. Yeah, the, the, the sunlight is get, getting to me. I think I need to go back into deep into my cave. Oh, but to be honest with you, I'm going to go back to the temp agency and uh, see what else I can do. <laughs> I have embezzled so much company property. I have... it, is, it is not even funny. Yes. <laughs> but um, that's going <laughs> to that's gonna be about it. Yep. Um, I've been Mark Cedric Mugshot. And I've been Jack, NWR5858. And we'll see you next time.
Hi, I'm Mike O'Donnell, one of the composers of the original Thomas the Tank Engine theme, and I'm here to tell you that I have released a selection of re-recorded themes and songs from the classic shows in a series of albums called The Engine Themes. These albums include a variety of classic themes and songs from the original TV series, as well as a few new compositions. You can purchase these albums on CD or digital download, as well as posters and pin badges. Have a look online at modmusic.co.uk. And for a special offer for Right On Track listeners, you can use the special code ROT20 for a 20% discount on all digital downloads. Be sure to enter the code when making your purchase. Thank you for your support and happy listening. Take care and stay safe. Thank you, Jack and Mark. Next up, you will be hearing an audio story from my archive. This is Rusty and the Twins. Rusty and the Twins Rusty the Little Diesel was always kept busy on the narrow gauge railway doing numerous jobs from track inspection to pulling freight. Today he was on his way to the wharf where the narrow gauge tracks met up with the North Western Railway's standard gauge line. We have to be careful today, his driver forewarned. Bill and Ben are working at the wharf too. What are they doing there? Turns out work at the clay pits has been deemed unsafe until further notice, so the fact controller is making use of them elsewhere. Bill had recently returned back to service, and he hadn't seen his brother for some time. It's been a while, hasn't it? Ben remarked. Oh yes, shame we can't bother Timothy. But you know where Timothy isn't, there's always someone else. Rusty tooted his horn as he entered the wharf and the twins' eyes met as a devilish smile crept up on both their faces. The little diesel stopped alongside Bill and Ben who were parked in adjacent sidings. The wharf manager came out to greet them. There's a large variety of shipments that need to be dispatched by this afternoon. We're trusting that the three of you will be able to make it happen. Can we rely on you? It shouldn't be too hard, glee Rusty. Bill and Ben, however, were keen to get the better of Rusty. Some of the narrow and standing gauge trucks had to be aligned side by side so that the cranes could move the loads from one line to the next. Bill pulled away the trucks just as the crane was about to release its cargo and the crate smashed on the rails. Rusty was frustrated. You mustn't do that. That cargo is needed and can't be wasted. But Bill gave no response as he bolted away to play more tricks. Suddenly, however, Ben was cautious. Should we really be playing such nasty tricks on Rusty and the trucks? What's gotten into you, Ben? Have you softened up while I've been away? Lost your sense of adventure, have you? 
Ben was remembering what he had learned from Katie. No, no, it's just that... Just what? You don't want to have fun with me anymore. I see how it is. And Bill went off in a huff. As the day continued, Ben mindfully stuck to the rules and put all the trucks in their proper places. Rusty watched, thoughtfully. What's the matter with your brother? he asked finally. He's sticking to old habits, but I think I've recently seen that old tricks aren't going to get us anywhere. I'm glad you've seen since, sympathised Rusty. It's all well and good to have a little bit of tomfoolery, but it feels nicer to be congratulated for hard work. Suddenly, Ben had an idea and told Rusty all about it. Bullstrode the barge floated into the wharf, waiting to be loaded up with stone from the quarry. Bill pushed along a line of trucks up towards the end of the siding. Bullstrode gave the trucks a cautionary eye. Make sure you put those trucks where they should be, he grumbled. I don't have all day to fossick around with you steamers. I'm going to take my sweet time and you're going to have to sit there until I'm ready. Bullstrode fumed. Rusty rolled up alongside Bill. Good news. The wolf manager is so impressed with your work that he's asked me and Ben to take up other responsibilities elsewhere on the island. Bill jumped. What? Why would they make such a decision? There's plenty of other places that we can be useful, so we both reckon that you're more than capable here. And with that, Ben and Rusty left the wharf. Now for phase two, whispered Ben. Bill suddenly felt an immense sense of pressure fall onto him. He huffed to and fro across the yard trying to get everything in place where it should be. He was so caught up that he forgot all about Bullstrode. A loud horn suddenly echoed the yard, filling the wharf. Bill recognised it immediately. The looming presence of a large diesel drifted into the yard and up to Bill, who quaked at who he saw. And where might my trucks be, Bill? Uh, 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 they'll, they'll be right there very soon. Soon is too bad. These trucks need to be at the docks before sundown and I can't be kept waiting. I'll get to it straight away, Boko. But before Bill could do anything else, a long line of trucks was buffered up behind Boko the Diesel by Ben, who was ready and waiting. Thank you, Ben, chimed Boko, and he hummed happily away. Thank you for saving me there. That's alright, but that's the last time I'm doing you any favours. He's right, remarked Rusty. We've been hot on our wheels and you've done nothing all day. If we work together to get everything done, then we'll have the work complete before you know it. So for the rest of the afternoon, Bill worked hard to keep up appearances and soon sent everybody on their way. Thank you, Bill, said Bullstrode as he departed the wharf with a load full of stone.
The work was soon complete, and all three engines were quite giddy from exhaustion. You've made remarkable time, he explained. Your efforts are much appreciated. I wonder where we'll be sent to work next, thought Bill. The clay pits aren't due to open for some time. Perhaps we'll be sent to help out Mavis at an Norfolk quarry, suggested Bim. I'm quite happy to be returning to my usual inspection duties, said Rusty happily. While they had been speaking, the telephone had rung from the wharf manager's office. He came back outside to address the twins. That was the fat controller. He says that there's trouble in the sheds, and the big engines are refusing to shunt their own trains. Can you head to Knapford immediately? The twins looked at each other. Come on, Ben, said Bill. Let's show those big engines what we're really made of. hope you enjoyed that audio story featuring Rusty, Bill, Ben, and a myriad of other characters. Next up, we'll be having our musical interlude, this week from Carson Ranker and Thailand Girl.
Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Model Train Corner. Um, so, today we're looking at another special locomotive, but this one isn't what you would think it is. It's not Thomas the Tank Engine, it's not Flying Scotsman, it's not Rocket, but this is a movie star from a very important, I guess, movie series, which is based on a book series. And here with me I have a fan of this series, my girlfriend Courtney. Say hi. Hi everyone. <laughs> uh, Courtney, what exactly, what are we looking at today? Um, today we are looking at the Hogwarts castle um, and the coaches as well, which is pretty interesting um, given the fact I've never actually seen um, this model like this before right in front of my eyes. And, and what series is it from? Um, it's from Harry Potter. Uh, this is the locomotive you will see in the movies, so I'm, I'm pretty sure the locomotive in the books is completely different, uh, but we'll get onto that. Uh, if you would like to take us through the history of the locomotive and the express. Um, yes, so the Hogwarts Express was the name of the train that ran between London's King's Cross Station, platform nine and three quarters, yeah. and Hogsmeade Station. It made um, this run about six times a year, maybe even more, as it was needed. It also made the run back again to London at the end of the term of the year, so in June. Um, the Express um, carried students of all year levels to and from Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Um, it travelled at the start and end of every term. It is the school's primary method of travel. Um, the train left platform nine and three quarters without fail every 1st of September at 11 o'clock in the morning, arriving at Hogsmeade Station in the early evening. Some students took the train back to King's Cross Station to go home for Christmas and Easter holidays, but some did not as they stayed at Hogwarts. Um, so some early um, history within um, about the Hogwarts castle. Within, within the actual wizarding world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some rode broomsticks um, as a difficult feat when carrying um, trunks and pets. Imagine that, like you're riding from basically London to the, t I think Hogwarts Castle, like the actual schools in Scotland, isn't it? Yes. So imagine riding from there on a broomstick from London all the way up to Scotland with your suitcases and your pet on a broomstick. Oh, it would be horrible. Well, yeah. at least if you had an owl, it would just fly there. Because, yeah, it could, you it know... could fly for you, but I'm pretty sure, didn't Harry take Hedwig in a cage anyway? Well, he has never been to Hogwarts before, remember? Oh, so okay. he would know. Yeah, yeah, so. Of course, of <laughs> so some other forms of transport um, was enchanted um, carts. Um, later they had carriages. Some attempted to... These are horse-drawn carriages, by the way. Or, you know, they might not even be like that. Some of them were like enchanted um, creatures. So True, yeah. only like some people would only be able to see... Um, this creature unless they've seen death which is pretty sad but yeah right. I think that's a whole other thing in itself but that's something that even I don't even know yeah <laughs> um, as the castle and the gates had always been protected um, by certain types of charms others rode um, at very uh, many different like magical creatures so like hippogriffs or you know 
griffins or some even I don't even know. <laughs> Just any sort of man- magical yeah, creature that they can if, fly. If they, it's like if it could get you somewhere, they can use it. Exactly. So in 1827, Ottoman Gobble Gamble. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Start it again. Okay. Just, just so you can redo that. Fred, edit this out. Okay. <laughs> in 1827, Ottoline Gamble rose to the office at the Ministry of Magic and she made a daring and controversial suggestion to solve the age-old problem of how to transport hundreds of students to and from Hogwarts Castle every school year without attracting a muggle's attention. Right. Um, so intrigued by the muggle technology, um, the minister saw the potential of using a muggle steam locomotive as a secure and comfortable alternative to portkeys. As a secure and comfortable alternative. Secure and comfortable alternative. alternative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll start that all yeah, again. Yeah. So, intrigued by muggle technology, the minister saw the potential of using a muggle steam locomotive as a secure, comfortable alternative to portkeys or any unregulated means of travel. So, portkeys is basically when you go into a fireplace, you get some dust. And then you have to say some, some the location where you want to go, and you drop it down into the fireplace, oh. and then you get sent off somewhere. We see that in the movie, don't we? Yeah. So there has been times. So in the second film of Chamber of Secrets, um, so the Weasley family as well as Harry, they have to go into the fireplace to get to Diagon Alley to go in for the start of the school year, getting books and everything. Harry unfortunately says the wrong line. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he gets sent to the darker side of Diagon Alley. Right. So not to the actual name of it was Nocturne Alley. So he went down that way. And then luckily for him, Hagrid helps him and saves the day. Yeah no wizard Harry. He sure does <laughs> say that. <laughs> uh. Um so the locomotive of the Hogwarts Express itself was originally built by the Muggles engineer of crew in Cheshire, England. We're going to get to this in a moment. But continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> in the early to mid-19th century. Um, in 1980... In 1830. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can read. <laughs> okay, edit that out. In 1830, the Minister of Magic conducted a large-scale operation including 167 memory charms as well as the biggest concealment charm even performed ever performed in Britain in order to acquire the locomotive the morning after this operation the residents of Hogsmeade awoke to find the gleaming red Hogwarts Express at Hogsmeade's railway station that had not been there previously and the Muggle Railway employees of Cree of crew of crew so I, I just, just go back just go back <laughs> okay um, the morning after this operation the residents of Hogsmeade awoke to find a gle- the gleaming red Hogwarts Express at the Hogsmeade railway station that had not been there previously and the Muggle Railway employees 
Cree. In Crew. Oh my god, I'm not going to be able to say Hang that. On, just, right. just go from and the Muggle Railways. Uh, and uh, uh, wait, where? Crew. And the Muggle Railway employees in Crew. 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not crow. Um, and the Muggle Railway employees in crew had the feeling they had misplaced something, which stayed with them for the rest of the years. So going back to the charms, what they did was the people that had the magic, so the wizards and stuff and witches, they would put those spells onto the castle, which made them move. So making it all enchanted so that muggles wouldn't be able to see the train actually moving. Right, okay. This is, I'll get to this in a moment, but this is a question I've always had. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get, get to, to it. it. We'll yeah. get to the good juicy stuff Yeah, later. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there was initial resistance from the pure blood families. So those of who had run in, who had family that were originally wizards. So... For an example, Harry was not a pureblood, so his father was, however, his mother wasn't since she was from a muggle family. So Hermione's also not a pureblood, is she? Yes, she's a muggle-born. Muggle-born? What does that mean? So, muggle, so non-magical person. So, she's her parents are actually not witches or wizards. Right, okay. So, for example, you and I, we are muggles. Yes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they were actually originally against the building of this transportation. Their families claimed that the express was unsafe and deeming upon the wizarding world. This was the stance until the ministry decreed that students would arrive to school on the train or not attend at all. Um, there is no information on where exactly Hogwarts students were travelling from during the period after they acquired of the Hogwarts Express and the creations of Hogsmeade Station. And before the opening of King's Cross, King's Cross Station and the platform nine and three quarters in 1850s. Okay, so... J.K. Rowling obviously was not a train enthusiast. We know this. She writes about wizards and witches and things like that. So there is a lot wrong with this. So I'm going to be reading off the same um, fandom Wikipedia article uh, in the trivia section. So because the engine is portrayed by a Great Western Railway hall class, its original paintwork was bronze with green and not crimson red. The you uh, sorry. The unusual paint job on the engine has sparked much controversy amongst railway enthusiasts. Railway enthusiasts are some of the hardest people to please. We, If you get one thing wrong, they'll point it out and be like, no, that's wrong. Like just recently, um, a friend told me that there was a locomotive restored at the Mornington Railway down in Melbourne. Um, so in Victoria, we have um, diesels that are usually painted in blue and gold. And this diesel was restored, and it was painted just a little bit too dark, and that caused so much controversy. Whoa! I wouldn't <laughs> have thought if you get one bit off, it would be yeah, so no, much controversy. Yeah, no, they're incredibly, wow. they're incredibly hard to please. So like this, this was like a little bit darker than what it should have been, and they were like, "No, it's wrong. Do it again." Wow, I've got a lot of more learning to do here. <laughs> uh, so tomorrow, J.K. Rowling's. Uh, oh no, we can skip over that. 
Interestingly, the Hogwarts Express conductor at Wizarding World of Harry Potter once claimed that the train was a Great Western Railway 5900 class, which uh, they don't exist, and was built in 1936 when the real locomotive was actually a Great Western Railway 4900 class. And was built in April, was actually built in April 1937. So, completely undoing J.K. Rowling's uh, history saying that it was built in the mid 19th century. Um, yeah, again, she's not a train enthusiast. We so get she's this. She's just making some things. We get this. Yeah. <laughs> it is possible, however, that these details were intentionally changed to differentiate Hogwarts Castle from the real engine that portrays it. Information from Pottermore points to it being rather erroneously acquired by the Ministry about a century earlier in the term of uh, in the term of Minister Ottoline Gamble, who was in office from 1827 to 1835. So she wouldn't have even seen this locomotive. It, like, it, like if we if we apply the Wizarding World to the real world, she would not have even even ever seen this exact locomotive until but, 100 years later. But remember, it is magic. It is. It's, it it's is just magic. magic. Just it's explain magic. It, just explain it away with magic. <laughs> exactly. However, this is pro- problematic as the locomotive design seen in the films was not developed until the 1930s. See? There you go. However, since several real-life locomotives such as the LNER 4472 Flying Scotsman were named after famous express services, it is possible that the locomotive received similar treatment and perhaps the train itself had been hauled by another engine prior to its construction. I... I subscribe to that theory, that there might have been a train or a locomotive before this one. That works a lot better. So... I can agree with that, yeah. What I think is... Uh, after reading that, what I think now is... So, in some of the Harry Potter books, they have an illustration of the actual locomotive. And for some reason, they have the locomotive connected straight to the coaches, and there's no tender, which... That can easily be explained away. Oh, it runs on magic. That might have been the engine before, um, you know, the engine before this one, this uh, Great Western locomotive. Exactly. But then, doesn't Harry Potter take place in the 90s? So, the movies-wise, they, um, I believe it was 1998 the first film came out, but J.K. Rowling, I think, started writing them in 1991. But when do they, when, when does Harry Potter take place? I believe it's the 80s. Oh, okay. I believe. So that still kind of works, but this is the locomotive you would have seen then, because it would have still been... I mean, it's it's still preserved. The, the real thing is in... Uh, so Alton Hall, which is the one that uh, Hogwarts Castle is based on, is in the National Railway Museum currently. Um... Another discrepancy that J.K. Rowling made an error in the year the Hogwarts Express was acquired, as Crew Works did not open until 1840, so only a few years after uh, Hogwarts Castle was supposedly built. Uh, erroneously, many believe the name of Hogwarts Express applies to the locomotive, the engine. The, hang on. Many believe the name Hogwarts Express applies to the locomotive. The engine is really named Hogwarts Castle in the films. Hogwarts Express applies to uh, only to the Express service itself and not the locomotive. So the trainer pulls. Okay. The trainer pulls is Hogwarts Express. The locomotive itself is called Hogwarts Castle. Another interesting thing as well is that this is based on a whole class. So it's really weird with Great Western Railway because all of their engines look pretty much the same. So. The, the, it's called Hogwarts Castle, but it's not a castle class locomotive. It's actually a whole class locomotive. 
So, ah. so it's a 4900. For, so, oh, Great Western Railway is so weird, and it's it's the reason why I haven't bothered learning about them because it's, all their engines are just the same. Um, so maybe you should maybe start learning about. Maybe it. I should, shouldn't yeah. I? So 4900 refers to the locomotive itself, but then they just give them names anyway, like Hall class, Star class, King class, Castle class, right. stuff like that. Um, Do they have a Jack class? <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't have a jack class, uh, I don't believe. I thought they'd be going off, like, the cards, because you said king class. Oh, true. That's... They should, have, they should have had an ace, and a clubs, and a diamonds, and a hearts class. That would have been cool, actually. Um, so, enough about the real thing, and, you know, in the movies. We have the actual Hornby... Excuse me. We have the actual Hornby model here. Which is the most recent one, which I think came out in 2020, so a little while ago now. Um, we went up, huh? A couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. I think because we had a whole lot of promotion stuff uh, for the 20th anniversary. Is it 20th, 20th anniversary? 20th anniversary of the first film. That Which was this. No, it was last year, wasn't last it? Last year, I believe, yeah. Yeah, and the books were the year before? No, the books would have been like years ago now. Uh, the books will be about 30 years old. The first book came out in 1991. So, yeah. okay, so this would have been promotional stuff for, for the movie. The movie. Yeah. Right. Well, what, which makes sense because this is what you see in the movie. So, exactly. so yes, uh, a whole class uh, painted in red, as we mentioned before. Um, in crimson. Yeah. In crimson red, that's correct, which is unusual for a Great Western Railway class. No, which is unusual for a Great Western Railway locomotive. Um, what, what else can you tell us about this, Courtney? Well, at the front, there is the label or like signage of the Hogwarts Express. Um, and on top, there's a little... Um, it's got the little... Like crest, the actual... Like the little crest yeah, of yeah. like um, the Hogwarts um, crest. So... One corner would have Gryffindor, the other corner would have Hufflepuff, um, Ravenclaw, and then Slytherin. So those are the names of the houses. Um, on the front, there is a little light lantern. Yep, a lamp. Yeah, lamp. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. Um, so from running it at um, Lachlan's Ballet Club, the when the light the light turns on when it's on the track. Um, the only thing that I would probably, I'm not exactly liking about this one is that it's an LED blue light, yep. where to me, I would believe it would be more like a yellow color since it's supposed to be like an ancient train. Um, that's, um, on the side, um, it has the Hogwarts castle, um, near, on the second wheel in the middle. Um, it's in gold. Uh, <laughs> the name, oh, yeah. The name, the nameplate, I name believe plate, it's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah nameplate. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the back, in the on the buffer, on no, the tender. on the tender. I'm getting. I'm trying. I'm getting, <laughs> getting there. I'm getting there. I'm using my tech, my terminology. I'm getting there. Um, has the um, Hogwarts railway. On it, um, but in the middle of the two words, it has again the crest of the Hogwarts crest 
the, the whole, yeah. Um, I think it's the coat of arms. Do they call yeah, it the coat the, of arms? I, I reckon they have. It's called the coat of arms. Yeah. But I'm not 100 percent sure. Um. So yeah, thank you, Courtney. Um. So basically, anything. This is the only. Now that I realise, it's the only great Western locomotive I have. So it's got a lot of unusual. Well, you can start your collection now. <sighs> Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like I said, they're all the same. So <laughs> I've got this one. I've basically got all of them. Um, no, but this one's special. It's Hogwarts. <laughs> for any great Western fans out there, I am not sorry. <laughs> um, what else is there to really say about this? Well, it has the n number plate. Yeah, it's got the number. It's uh, 5972, which I believe is the same thing in the movie. Um, I think another really cool... Sorry. One of the unfortunate things about this one is that uh, it doesn't have any sprung buffers, but that doesn't really matter. That's more of a cosmetic thing. Uh, some other things I enjoy about it is the copper cap on the funnel. Uh, it's not. It would have been cool if it was like electroplated, so you could actually see it shine, like it was like actually yeah. reflective. Same with the bonnet. It's just painted in like a bronzy uh, brass color. Yeah. Um, the whistles are cool. They've got that sort of guard around them that is typical of great Western engines. And they're gold. And they are also gold. <laughs> um, underneath the tender of this one, it has the water scoop. So what this is. Um, There's it, a water scoop in trains. Yeah. So. Okay. So okay. Okay. The, he, listen, this is this is gonna blow your mind, right? I am ready. So trains usually had to stop to fill up on water, right? Oh yeah, like Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, Thomas fill, stops to fill up on water. <laughs> I but think. if you are an express engine going from point A to point B and you have to get there in a particular amount of time without stopping, what they would do is they put these troughs of water in the track. And then oh. what happens is this train comes along and scoops up the water in there, in, in that scoop, right? And then it goes into this dome bit, which sort of like disperses it, which like, I don't know, stops it from breaking the top of the tender. Oh, uh, that then, makes sense. Yeah, and then fills it up so you don't have to stop. Yeah, because if they had to stop, they'd be that like, they wouldn't... Time. And not only that, they would be so late to school. Like, come <laughs> they on. They would be late That'd to be school. That'd be so late. I suppose in the case of this locomotive, it doesn't matter because it runs on magic, right? Exactly. Magic. Magic. That's the thing. It may not even use water because, you know, it's magic. It Actually, runs on magic. That reminds me of what I was going to go back to earlier. How the hell does Platform 9 and 3 quarters work? So, you have this train. Sorry, hang on. No. Sorry. You have London. In London, there is King's Cross Station. I believe there's 14 platforms, if I remember correctly. You go to platform nine, yes. right? And then you run into the wall, and then you go to platform nine and three quarters. Exactly. And then this train takes you to Hogwarts. Yes. Is Hogwarts in a pocket dimension? So like, it's like, okay, so, so you're following, right? Yeah, I'm so, following, so yeah. So you go to platform nine, yes. and then you go to somewhere where nowhere else, no one else can see the train, right? And then this train takes you to Hogwarts. Yes. How in the hell does that work? Okay, better question for you. Well, okay, correct me again. Correct me if I'm wrong. Harry and Ron missed the train to get to Hogwarts, right? In one of the movies. Yes. How the hell did they drive their Ford Anglia, which could fly, from King's Cross without going through the wall to Hogwarts? How the hell did that work? Well, Mr. Weasley, you know, he, he works in the ministry, he stu studies muggles and, you know, he used his magic on that train, on not the train, the Ford Angular. Angular. 
Anglia. Anglia. The, the same words. Sort of, yeah. Same thing. That That's not answering Ang- I haven't finished <laughs> yet. Okay, okay, okay. So, he must have used the magic um, in order for them to get there. They must have known something because if you remember, if you recall in the film, it's Ginny's first year yeah. at Hogwarts. So, Arthur and... I forgot her name. Molly. Molly Weasley, so the mother of yep, Ron. Yep. They actually get trapped in on platform nine and three quarters, so they can't actually get back because the they miss because Ron and Harry missed the train. Yep. Anyway, to the point what I'm trying to make. <laughs> yep, yep. Arthur must have like sent a message to Ron yep. saying like you need to get to school, use the Ford Angular. Yeah, angles. Ford angles. We'll yeah, just go Ford angles. Ford angle. Ford angle. <laughs> and must have communicated to him like, "Hey, you need use the Ford angular to get to school." So the but also the car's enchanted, so it must have known where the school was. Yeah. So it drove them to there. There was a scene where they caught up to the train, but there were two in front of the train. <laughs> which I'm gonna made... get back to that in a second. Okay. You can probably say it now okay. because I'm running out of things to say. Okay, so, so th- this this proves my point even more. So you have to go through a magical wall to go see the locomotive, and then the locomotive takes you to Hog- Hogwarts, which sort of makes me think that Hogwarts is in a pocket dimension that no one else can see. But it's in Scotland. It's in Scotland. It's in Scotland. It's in Scotland. <laughs> But it's it's never explained. Are you saying that Scotland is in a port key? Hang on. (laughs) That is implying it gets out of this little pocket dimension somehow. But also, Harry and Ron get in the car, they don't go through the wall, and then they meet up with the train, which is implied that it's still in this pocket dimension inside Platform 9 and 3 Quarters, inside King's Cross. Yes. How how is that explained? To be honest, I haven't done this much research <laughs> into platform nine and three quarters. I just roll with it because you know I am a muggle, so I'm not a wizard. I yeah. don't know this stuff. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like there would have been like I feel like that I've watched something on like YouTube where it explains where, where, like, where it, it, it explained it. I think what it was is like there. That the magic of it was that platform nine and three quarters does exist at King's Cross Station, but it's just added on where it's like blocked off by a barrier or something like that, so the muggles cannot see because it's enchanted by magic. Right. So. So so what you're saying is like platform nine and three quarters in quotations doesn't exist, right? But but they they go to platform nine and three quarters. It doesn't exist at King's Cross. It exists in its own yeah, thing. Yeah, so it must be its own thing in order for the, them to travel to there. Again, in a pocket dimension. But, but it's not are a you saying, dimension. like, maybe when it gets to somewhere near Hogsmeade, it comes out of that pocket dimension? I guess so. Okay. It's, <laughs> the fandom website didn't do a really good job at explaining that. I think it's something we're going to have to return to next time. Maybe well, when I we think... review maybe the coaches. Or when I review... Bigger one you got me. That'd be, that'd be something to come back to. Maybe. 
I, but I reckon if you did want to do some more research, or anyone wants to do more research about... Please let pla- me know. Yeah, exactly. Let us know. Or, you know, you could always just research um, about Platform 9 and 3 quarters. There's a lot of information on there. You could even go onto the Pottermore website, the Wizarding World website. That's if it is there. That's if it's there. <laughs> but I'm sure it would be there. But I don't know. I feel like from looking... From me collecting all like the Harry Potter books and everything back like that, coming back to the train itself, <laughs> um, in like the very first book, um, the hardcover of the Philosopher's Stone, or if you happen to be an American, it's the Sorcerer's Stone. The Sorcerer's Stone. Um, there has been some later editions for the, like the twentieth um, um, anniversary where they have the a photo of the train itself. Right. Um, and what it would look like. Yeah. Um, which is actually quite interesting. It doesn't look like this at all. Are you talking about the illustrations in the book? Yeah. Yeah. It looks very different. It's got like it a was... dragon on its funnel. I'm pretty sure. Maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> it's been too long. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to reread the books again. So, I think uh, we should probably wrap it up here now. So, if you have any information on this whole POC dimension theory, <laughs> please reach out to me. Twitter, uh, at Lachlan's Double O Rails. Uh, Instagram, I think it's the same thing, Lachlan's Double O Rails. Uh, or reach out to us on um, Right On Track uh, via Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or even email us. Um, I'm pretty sure that'll be at the end of the uh, show credits. Someone will tell us about that. Because I would love to know. I think we would both like to yeah. know. <laughs> You'll be the first to know as soon as I find out. I hope so. <laughs> um, Alright, well, thank you for coming on, Courtney. And thank you for reviewing our uh, very lovely Hogwarts Castle locomotive. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Lachlan, and thank you, Courtney, for your reviews on the Hornby Hogwarts Castle. I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. I think the third is my favourite film and always have loved the books as well. That's it for today on episode 69. Uh, Stay tuned for another episode coming very soon. Until then, I've been Denim and this has been the Right on Track podcast. You've been listening to Right on Track. This podcast was hosted by Connor Jonas, Tom Parry, Lachlan Kyle and Tom Denham. The audio producers for this podcast were Jason Evans, Harry Hughes, Ashley DeGroote, and Frederick French Prounce. The supervising producers are Connor Jonas and Tom Parry. The executive producer is Tom Denham. Visit rideontrackpodcast.org for more information plus bonus material and be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast on Twitter at OnTrackThomas and Instagram at RightOnTrackPodcast.